Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this most beautiful day. And we thank you for this opportunity to come together this evening for this special occasion of the ordination of Pastor Chris Carpenter. This has been a long journey, and through it, you have never left us alone. We have always been under your protection. During that time, you brought us an interim pastor. You brought us Pastor Chris Baker, who shepherded us, who guided us, who directed our pastor nominating committee and helped us greatly. And during all this time, you had already picked out Chris Carpenter to be our pastor. You were preparing him in Florida. He probably had no idea he was going to wind up in a little town in Illinois. And we, we thank you for that. And we are, we are so awed by the way you work, Lord. And now we are worshiping you in word and song. And we pray that this glorifies you and is pleasing to you. And we pray this in your Son and our Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please be seated? God cleanses us and restores us. This evening from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. You rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And now if you take a few moments to silently confess your sins between you and the Lord, we will then confess our sins together corporately. And now, let us confess our sins together. Almighty, eternal God and Father, we confess and acknowledge unto you that we were conceived in unrighteousness and are full of sin and transgression in all our life. We do not fully believe your word, nor follow your holy commandments. Remember your goodness, we beseech you. We namesake, be gracious unto us. And forgive us our iniquity, which, alas, is great. Amen. Amen. And know that you are forgiven in Christ. Assurance of pardon. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Christian, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that you might live and be forgiven. If you have believed in him, God not only forgives your sin, but he promises you life forevermore. Hallelujah. Amen. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Give thanks. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. And now, hymn number 237, What Can Wash Away My Sin?
You may be seated. So look in your bulletin, God calls us to dedication. We ask the question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. How is Christ a prophet? As a prophet, Christ reveals the will of God to us for our salvation by his word and spirit. The scripture reading that's been chosen today is 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all the dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he be, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. If you don't mind, I'd like to uh, just make a brief remark here at the beginning that, uh, again, it is a real privilege to be here. Uh, especially because um, your church office is where I took my ordination exams. And five years ago this month, I was ordained. And uh, reflecting on the real joy here, uh, I, I have been telling our folks uh, up in Edgington that uh, in the span of two weeks, I've, I'm hitting something of a pastoral grand slam. Um, in the span of two weeks, I've done a baptism, a wedding, a funeral, administered the supper, attended Presbytery, moderated a session meeting, and this is the crowning jewel of those two weeks. Uh, And it is an extraordinarily privilege, uh, an inestimable joy to be a minister of the gospel and to bring the name of Jesus into those beautiful occasions, and this is certainly one of them. Uh, We're going to be hearing from God's Word both in the Old and New Testaments, And I understand that you have an insert there in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along there or perhaps if you'd like to open uh, your copy of God's Word with me. I'll be reading from the ESV translation just in case uh, uh, you have something else just to make note of that. But your bulletin insert is the ESV translation, uh, first from Jeremiah and then from Galatians in chapter 1. And as you're uh, preparing yourself to hear God's Word, let us first pray and ask God's blessing upon the Word. Our great God, we bow before you with humble hearts, thankful that you speak to us in the scriptures. We're mindful, Lord, that if you had not spoken to us, we would not know you. So, Lord, we pray that as we turn to your word now, that you would give us soft hearts, illuminated minds, ears ready to hear that which you speak to us. And so, Lord, come now in the power of your spirit. Rest upon our minds and upon our hearts, that we might know you, that we might trust you, that we might heed your word. And so, Lord, come now and speak, we pray, for the sake of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And now, friends, hear God's word from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, beginning at verse 16 through verse 32. This is the word of God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? 
or who has paid attention to his word and listened. Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest, it will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the peoples who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Therefore, behold... I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. And you'll want to put a finger or perhaps a bookmark there, or we'll come back to that. But turn now with me to Galatians. Galatians in chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. Paul, an apostle not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever and ever. And so may he write its eternal truth upon our hearts. And like I said, you'll want to first be in Jeremiah. So let's go back there quickly. And as you're going there, I have a very solemn question for you that I think God's word is pressing upon us as a people and your church in particular this evening. And that question is, why does the church exist? Why does this church exist? I have in mind, first of all, uh, you, this local church, Princeville and Presbyterian. Why do you exist? Uh, but also, as we are reminded by the fact that we have a commission of the Presbyterian, we represent the church in a larger sense. We've got uh, three different states represented, four different churches, and we gather to worship not just as individual particular churches, but the church of Jesus Christ gathered together, those saved by the blood of the Lamb, this beautiful expression. So again, this question, why does the church exist? Your church, my church, our churches together, what are we here for? And so as we observe this sacred occasion to the ordination of gospel ministry, this is a wonderful opportunity to reflect on that question. What are we here for? What are we doing? We need to reaffirm what it is that God has called us to be and to do. 
or to perhaps put it in more common language as people often say, what makes a good church a good church? You know, because people have different ideas of what that is. What makes a good church? Your church might be presently being spoken of in your community right now because things are happening. You've got a new pastor. It's got a beautiful young family. And there's excitement about a a new era of ministry here. You've got a great Awana program. You've got great fellowship among the people here. You may even put on a first-rate potluck, and people love those too. But are, are those things what makes you the church? In some people's definitions, that might be the most important thing about you. But it is not what makes the church the true church of Jesus Christ. We are a part of a heritage of faith that says there are at least three marks of a true church. And I'm just going to be reflecting on one of them tonight. And so uh, later on, you can ask Chris what the other two are because he already passed his ordination exams and uh, he knows those things already. So ask him later. But tonight we are reflecting on the fact that from God's word, we see first and unquestionably the primary task of the church of Jesus Christ is to declare the pure and true gospel of Jesus Christ. To declare the pure and true gospel of Christ. So as principles stand at the brink of a new exciting chapter, we are called to be a people of God's word, a people of the gospel, a people who have a message of life-giving truth in an age of deadly error, something to truly share. Now, I think it's oftentimes tempting for us to consider that living in the 21st century, the problems that we face in the church are unique problems. The problems in the culture pressing upon the church are unique problems. They're not. They're just repackaged issues in a new era. And in Jeremiah's time, the issue was, has God spoken? Just like it was in the garden, right? When the serpent tempted Eve, has God really said? Has God really spoken about that? Is God clear on what he says? And the prophet Jeremiah speaks in this age when people were trading the truth of God for secular wisdom, uh, conventional wisdom, whatever the truth is in the age that was agreed upon. And here in Jeremiah 23, we find the condemnation of those who pollute the word of God. And if we do not want to pollute the word of God, then we have to know how do we preach a true gospel. Well, here's an example negatively. How many of you have learned lessons in life by what not to do, right? Negative lessons are sometimes the best teachers. And here we see in Jeremiah 23 a negative example of what it does mean, what it means to not preach a pure gospel. So there are four marks of this false gospel. We want to see them and then we'll see in Galatians, on the other hand, the true gospel and the pure gospel and how to preach it properly and minister it effectively in the community. First of all, what does it mean to pollute God's word? It means, first of all, speaking a false message. Look at verse 16 in Jeremiah 23 again. Verse 16, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds not from the mouth of the Lord. A prophet and a pastor and a church are only as true as the words that they proclaim. And notice that the distinguishing characteristic of a false message is that it is characterized by human ingenuity, new thoughts, or the always uh, famous pragmatic gospel. Whatever works, whatever gets them in the door, We'll do it just to get them here. And when you become a slave to the pragmatic gospel, you are a slave to constantly reinventing the wheel because you had to do something crazy to get them here. You have to do something crazier to keep them here. The pragmatic gospel is a false gospel, and this is a false message these false prophets are speaking. We see this in churches where the Bible is nothing more than a springboard that the pastor reads and then puts aside to go and talk about his own opinions or speak about the New York Times bestsellers list or whatever else is the case. Anecdotes, no commentary on the text. That's not preaching. The prophets of God are called to preach a true message, but these prophets spoke a false message. To preach a false message is to pollute God's word. So they speak a false message. Secondly, also in verse 17, we'll see that these false prophets, they speak this false message and offer false assurance. 
Look at what they're saying in verse 17. They proclaim, it shall all be well with you. No disaster shall come upon you. Everything's fine. Nothing has to change. No repentance is necessary. Even though you persist in the rebellion of your unbelief, even though you stubbornly follow your own heart, go ahead and keep going that way. Live exactly how you want. They persist in downplaying the terminal diagnosis of sin rather than speaking the truth and by doing so, offer people a false assurance that everything's fine, don't worry. What does that look like today? It looks like the simple and deadly way that we downplay what God has called sin. And rather than call for repentance, accommodation is requested. And again, we're faced, did God really say? When we refuse to speak of sin and its dire consequences and instead offer people advice for how to have a better day, here's five things you need for a better Monday tomorrow. That's not what the God's prophets were called to do. Instead of calling them to repentance, to flee from the wrath to come, they offer a false assurance because they speak a false message. A false message, a false assurance. And next, see it. They stand on false authority in verse 21. They stand upon a false authority. These prophets run without being sent, and they speak without any words given to them. They're bold with their human wisdom and their own imagination with no foundation to stand upon. And this also looks like in the world today, in the world of the church even, we think that what gives people authority is their intelligence, their wisdom, their ingenuity, creativeness. Rather than thinking that church ministry is a ministry of authority based off of God's word, not worldly wisdom. And so what makes a faithful elder is not one who has the most successful business reputation. The best impression on all things in terms of the counsel of his will, but rather the one who reflects Christ's authority faithfully. That is what makes a faithful elder. When we lead people on the basis of our own authority, we ask them to be disciples of ourselves, not Jesus. They stand on false authority. And the last thing to see about these false prophets, their false message, their false assurance, their false authority, is that as they speak these things, they point people to a false god, which is then an idol. As the prophets speak about God, they reduce him so much that he asks the rhetorical question, verse 23 and verse 24. Am I a God at hand and not a God far away? Can a man hide from me? Do I not fill heaven and earth? With their false words and lies, these prophets bring people to trust in a false God. The one who is not true, who is an idol. Because of their ministry, verse 27, it says, The people forget the name of the one true God. And all of this is because they strayed from the word of God, treating it like Plato, to shape it and form it according to their own desires. And the people lie in the wake of that, turning away from Yahweh. This is a worthless ministry, and it has no eternal significance. But again, we see these things speaking by the prophet Jeremiah, but we should realize that we are not so far removed from this context. All of these things bear upon us. There is pressure all around us for all of our churches to be on the cutting edge and keep up with all the trends so that we feel this weight and pressure upon us that we're willing sometimes to accommodate or do whatever might work instead of standing upon this foundation of thus saith the Lord. Brothers, sisters, let us not shuffle our feet and look down When we speak truth, let us raise our heads with clear voices and say, God has said, and God's word is good, and God's word is true. This is what we need. That's why the prophet says in verse 28, Let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. God's word is the centermost focus of our ministry, and it must be because without it, we have no ministry. Without God's word, we don't have good news to share. We're just people meeting together and doing some things and then heading home. 
But with God's word marking our ministries faithfully, we will see a true ministry of the gospel because God has revealed himself here. So this is what this does not look like. And let us turn from it. But then secondly, what does it look like? What is the pure preaching of the gospel as a matter of first importance look like? And for that we go to Galatians in chapter 1. God has spoken. God has revealed himself. God has given us a mandate for our ministry and a primary focus, and it's this. That if the ministry of the false prophets is marked by error, then we as God's covenant people are called to be marked by truth and the clear proclamation of the purity of the gospel. Paul shows us that here in Galatians 1. But again, there is the pressure in every age to shrink back and just... Tell people what they want to hear rather than tell them what they desperately need to hear. Paul doesn't succumb to that pressure. Even though in Galatia the people were facing these struggles, facing the struggle of another gospel, another message. Let's not talk about Jesus so much. You know, why do we have to talk about sin and repentance every week? Can't we talk about something else, right? Faith, gospel, surely there's something else that we move on to. Paul says no. The church was under deadly threat of their own apostasy by corrupting the pure doctrine of the gospel. Paul does not agree to disagree. Paul does not concede to just having a dialogue and a conversation. No, he speaks truth as a matter of life and death. Do you believe that, by the way? That, biblically speaking, there are only two kinds of people in the world? There are those who receive and rest upon Christ as he is offered in the gospel and those who do not. And if we long to see those who have not heard here, and if we long to have our souls nurtured in gospel faith, then this must be true of us, this pure gospel. So we saw in Jeremiah a false authority message and assurance, but Paul lifts up here a true authority, a true message, and a true assurance. First of all, in verse 1, true authority Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. There is not a single point of emphasis there about Paul. It's all about God. You could even say, well, he named his own name, but his own name was taken for the sake of his ministry to the Gentiles, for the sake of the gospel. This is not about Paul. His name reflects authority that he is under. He is an apostle. That's what that means, to be a sent one. To be a man under authority. Remind yourself that in Acts chapter 9, when Paul is wonderfully converted, and then later in Acts chapter 13, it says the Holy Spirit set Paul apart for the work which with he was called. Paul's authority has nothing to do with himself. He had a good education, but it wasn't about how smart he was. He was a wise man, but it wasn't about his wisdom. Not from or through man, but by divine appointment, by Jesus Christ, who Lord and Christ and King and head of the church. Remember, Jesus is the one who has said, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. This church, Princeville Presbyterian Church, has no authority except that which the Lord Jesus has given to you. Your pastor has no authority apart from Jesus Christ. Paul used Jesus Christ as raised from the dead as the reminder that he is alive and ascended and exalted to the highest state and there is no higher name than the name of Jesus Christ. And it is by his authority that we minister a true authority. Secondly, notice this, this true message. As Paul speaks of the gospel, you know, in our ordination exams, Um, that Chris has already gone through very faithfully. I like to ask questions that um, sometimes catches them off guard. And uh, recently, I think for Chris's exam, somebody else asked this particular question. But we're in the midst of this process where uh, three hours long, right? We're asking questions about economic and ontological Trinitarianism and supersubstantiationism. Okay? And then we look at them and say, what's the gospel? What is the gospel? And it's almost alarming sometimes because you know, we're prepared for the long questions and the, the vocabulary and all the rest. Friends, if I asked you today, what is the gospel? Can you confidently give an answer to that question? I know sometimes we don't like to be put on the spot. And sometimes we kind of, you know, hem and haw and feel awkward sometimes when people ask us questions. What is the gospel? 
Paul wastes no time. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, this is the kind of verse in verse 5, uh, verse 3, that your pastor can probably preach five different sermons from, okay? Because there's that much detail in that text. But notice that the gospel has content, it has a message, it has a true definition. The good news of what Jesus has done for sinners who receive by faith alone that which they cannot do for themselves. The good news of the gospel. The gospel is truth, it is a proposition, it is a declaration, it is an announcement, the good news that brings glory to God. And again, the temptation is to say, you know, gospel, I know that and I believe that. Are we going to move on from it? Are we going to talk about something else besides the gospel ever? But we don't realize that the reason why Paul labors to make this definition clear is because, as Galatia proved, it really is possible to think we should move on from the gospel. Let's just quit talking about that stuff for a while and talk about something else. No, Paul says, no, this is a matter of first importance. It can happen in your church. It can happen in our church. This mentality that says, you know, we got this Jesus thing down pat. Let's talk about something else. No, Paul is committed to the continuing examining of the purity of the gospel of Christ. Paul was astonished and aghast, blown away at how these Christians were so quickly deserting the true gospel. And if it was true 2,000 years ago, how much more true can it be today that we stand at risk of that? Where we preach a gospel of moralism and political affinity and therapy and cultural transformation. Paul says there is no other gospel. There is only the proclamation of Jesus Christ as person and work for sinners. This is the true message and there is no other. Again, you can get together and do a lot of nice things, but if you don't have the gospel, you're not a church. Finally, see the true assurance. Paul preaches from true authority, preaches a true message, and he is able then to give true assurance of the pure pure gospel. In verses 6 through 9, Paul is saying, There isn't another gospel, and because of that, there is no other hope. There is no other means of comfort or assurance, because if we are not trusting in the true gospel, we are anathematized. We see that word twice. It's in our translation as accursed. Verse 9, if we don't believe that, Paul says we are cut off. The word literally means to be damned. If we are not trusting in Christ as he has offered To us in the gospel, we are anathematized, accursed, and damned. But because we have a true gospel, but because we have true authority, but because we have true hope, rather than being accursed, rather than being anathematized, rather than being damned, there is the opportunity to look one another in the eye and proclaim the truth. People of God, your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. And if the gospel is not what we are preaching, then we cannot offer that in full assurance. But because it is, we can True forgiveness in Jesus' name, for sure. The forgiveness of your sins, past, present, and future. The good news of the gospel. Don't you want that to be the mark of your church? Don't you want that to be the characteristic ministry of the churches of our presbytery and of our denomination that we are a people, if anything, who believe the gospel? The divine stewardship that was given to Paul... The divine stewardship that is given to you, Princeville Presbyterian, and to your pastor and elders, and to us together as the church, is to divinely steward the flock of God according to the pure gospel of Christ. And so, dear church, I want to encourage you in this new season to reaffirm the confession of your hope in the gospel. And as you worship and serve the Lord together, May it produce an ever-increasing zeal and love and a deepening passion for Christ and his word and the truth of his gospel so that the thing that people are talking about then in the community is that those principal Presbyterian people, man, they love Jesus. Man, they love this thing called gospel. Wouldn't that bring glory to God in the city of Princeville? May God make it so for his glory. Let us pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel, the salvation of sinners, the sanctification of saints, the glory of your name. Pray, Lord, that you would keep us faithful and that you would allow us in this opportunity to reaffirm the confession of our hope in Christ alone and none other, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we pray. Amen. We're singing. People of God, let us stand and sing with all of our hearts. This is uh, really remarkable to be uh, here with you and uh, acting on part of the presbytery because the uh, presbytery is the ordaining and installing body in the church and to uh, be here with the uh, commission is uh, really an honor for me I'm a little nervous. Um, The one and uh, true and universal church is both visible and invisible. The invisible church, which will be the church victorious on that great day of Christ's return, is composed of all those who throughout all the ages belong to Jesus Christ, claiming only him as Lord and Savior. The visible church on earth, sometimes called the church militant, is composed of all those in every place who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and who, through the, their children, submit to his law and lordship. The visible church is bound together in essential unity where the scriptural disciplines is practiced, where the word of God is rightly proclaimed, and where the sacraments are properly observed, and where a loving fellowship is maintained. The evangelical church is a part of that visible church, believes in perfecting the order of the visible church is best established when scriptural doctrine of government by presbyteries gathered in church courts are practiced. According to the scripture, those who hold the office of pastor should be sound in faith, have an aptitude for teaching, their lives should reflect holiness and discipline that brings honor to Christ. The duties of the pastor shall be to preach and expound the word, to be God's prophet to the people and God's priest and people's priests before God. As the law of love 
places certain duties upon each Christian, the pastor is specially bound to fulfill those duties and to be an example of all. Members of this congregation have elected Chris to this high office. Are you now ready to answer these questions? Do you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the Westminster Confession of Faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? I do. Do you promise that if any time you find yourself out of accord with the system of doctrine as taught in the Scriptures and contained in the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Catechism of this Church, you will, by your own initiative, make known to your presbytery the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? I do. Do you affirm and adopt the essentials of our faith without exception? Yes. Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church? I do. Do you promise subjection to your fellow presbyters in the Lord? I do. Have you been induced, as far as you know, in your own heart to accept the office of the Holy Ministry from the love of God and a sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? Yes. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? I do. Will you seek to be a faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, whether personal or relative, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life, and to walk with exemplary piety before the flock of which God shall make you overseer. I do. Are you now willing to take charge of this church, agreeable to your declaration when accepting this call, and do you, relying on God's strength, promise to discharge it to the duties of a pastor? I do. What an honor it is for me to be part of this commission. I'm also uh, a member of the ministerial committee, and so I took part in the exam of Chris, and I I believe with all my heart that he was certainly called to be a minister of the Word, and uh, I think he's a remarkable, gifted young man. I now have questions for the congregation, and hopefully you have read over these questions, because this is not to be taken lightly, okay? Are you, the members of this congregation, ready to receive Chris Carpenter as your pastor? Are you? Yes. Do you promise to submit to Chris Carpenter in matters of spiritual discipline and to receive with humility and love the word of truth? Do you? Yes. Do you promise to support your pastor with your prayers, to give encouragement in his work, and to assist him in every way as he seeks to instruct you in the things of the Lord and to lead you in the building of the kingdom of God in this place. Do you? Do you recommit yourselves to fulfill the terms of the call you have extended and to make provision for your pastor's needs that the name of Christ might be glorified? Do you? I'd like to invite Mark and all elders uh, to come up for uh, Bill Neal and lay out of hands. So while we have Chris at a bit of disadvantage, 
I just want to uh, say also what an honor it is to be asked to be involved with this. Uh, Chris asked me, I am thankful for your congregation for allowing me to be here and the Rivers and Lakes Presbytery um, to also allow me to be part of this ordination service. Um, I am a blessed man. Um, I have a biological son who is a Presbyterian pastor, and I was able to participate in his ordination. And uh, through the mentorship of an adopted son today, um, I am also able to participate with this. When Chris asked me if I would pray, I, I said um, that I might cry. And uh, so I might. Um, but I will tell you that, um, uh, Chris, you've had a lot of questions today, so I'm going to ask you this, this one. So this is easy. What's the shortest version, uh, verse in the Bible? That would be John 11.35, and that would be Jesus wept. And if Jesus can do it, so can I. So let's pray. Gracious God and Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on your servant Chris. We pray that he would follow the traditions of saints before him like Moses and Aaron, but most importantly that he would follow the high priest, Jesus Christ. Have Chris be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, continually fill him with this spirit those spiritual gifts that come from that same spirit, and every believer has gifts. We are given a variety of ministries to use these gifts for the glory of Jesus. I pray that Chris will faithfully use his gift of teaching to build up this church. I pray that he will exhort those around him to use their own gifts to lift up the name of Jesus. I pray that this church will support Chris as their pastor. Father, Help Chris to boldly proclaim the gospel. Help Chris to rightly administer the sacraments. Help Chris to be a faithful, loving, and strong husband, loving father. Help Emily and the children to be his helpers and steady source of his comfort. Help Chris to be a patient teacher and a wise counselor of those he shepherds. Allow him to serve above reproach so that your people may be strengthened and your name would be glorified. Father, ordination of a pastor is not to be taken lightly, and we pray what we are doing today is for your glory and in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.
and that he has been duly and properly installed as pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the word and the law of this church. As such, he is entitled to be given support, encouragement, honor, and obedience of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Now, as a token of that support, we extend to you the right hand of fellowship and present to this congregation and to the world the Reverend Christopher P. Carpenter. Okay, just to be clear, this is not a second sermon, okay? <clears throat> Chris, I offer you this charge from the Word of God as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, which says, For I decided to know nothing among you except... Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Chris, know nothing among the people of God except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What does that mean? What will it look like? It will look like many things and many more things as you grow in pastoral ministry. But consider at least a few very brief things. First, effective ministry is not measured by keeping with fads or gimmicks or methods. It is measured by faithfulness. Your people will not be sanctified by your wit, your ingenuity, or creativity. They will be sanctified by the Spirit of God working through his appointed means of grace. Preach the word, administer the sacraments, love your people, be faithful. Second, submit to the godly wisdom and counsel of your fellow elders. Seek out frequent opportunities to place decisions in their hands that will directly affect you. Let them pray for you and then heed their counsel, especially when it is not the decision that you would have made, and then rejoice in submitting to godly men. This will guard you from establishing a kingdom of your own. This will guard you from lording over the church. Co-labor with elders that God has given you to minister alongside, not over top of. Third, do not sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. One of the things that qualifies you to be a teaching elder in the first place, to be an elder in the first place, is that you faithfully care for your family. They are not worth a better reputation in the sight of men to be forsaken. Fourth, be patient and tender with the flock of Jesus Christ. I commend the work of God's Spirit in you, His incredible grace in your life. I marvel at it. And I think it is wonderful that you have been called and you have been well equipped for this ministry. But when you're frustrated, and you will be frustrated, when you feel like people aren't catching the vision that you're trying to gather around God's word, when you feel like you're sowing seeds in rocky soil, be patient. Never underestimate what you can accomplish in 10 years. And don't overestimate what you can only accomplish in one. Many decades of faithful ministry. And if you want an example, one is sitting to your left. Be patient. Be tender. These are not your sheep ultimately. They are Jesus's. Be kind to them. Take on the character of the good shepherd and love the sheep. Fifth, and this gets to the substance of what Paul's words mean when he says, know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. Spend the rest of your life pointing past yourself. This is not about you. I can't help but remember these words from John Owen 
who said there are two ways that ministers lead. One man leads with the authority of his office, and the other man leads with the authority of his unction. To lead with the authority of office says to people, don't you know who I am? But remember that the derivation of your ministerial authority comes by way of ordination of Jesus Christ. And leading by unction rather than office says, don't you see who he is? And then calls them to follow him and not you. The gospel is the beautiful diamond which you are called to turn and appreciate every new hue and sparkle and show to your people again and again. Guard that in your life as you minister with the words of Jonathan Edwards upon your conscience, which I call to mind every single Lord's Day, which says, I go forth to preach with two propositions in wine in my mind. One, that everyone ought to give their heart to Christ. Secondly, even if no one gives their heart to Christ, I will give him mine. Know nothing among the people of God at Princeville except Jesus Christ and the power of his gospel. Teach them to find their joy and satisfaction in him rather than you. Because we know that this world seeks to woo us into earthly bliss and lesser joys. But by ministering the gospel faithfully to this people, they will bear witness. Along with John Newton, fading is the worldling's pleasure, all its boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting pleasures, none but Zion's children know. May this church be under the charge of your ministry and outpost of Zion to the glory of God. And may God bless you. This is the charge uh, to the congregation, and I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, I am least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or it is only Barnabas and I who have no rights to refrain from working for a living, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when he reads, treads out the grain. It is not for the ox that God is concerned. Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It is written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of the sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share in the rightful claim on you, do not we even more? This uh, is an exciting time uh, for Pastor Chris and his family and as well as for you, the leaders and members of the church. I should say that it has been for me personally exciting as well. I have enjoyed hearing Chris's testimony at Presbytery and his preaching at the April Presbytery meeting. I just really, really enjoyed that. In fact, I used much of what he said as an introduction to my sermon on the 28th of um, April. I was taught the ordained ministry was a progressive movement of God in a person's life. Such as Pastor Chris, I sure it began before the foundation of the world, but for our sake it began with a conversion to Christ, a call to ministry, a movement through the practical ministry, education, both undergraduate and graduate. 
coming under the care of a session, presbytery and ordination exams and examinations of the ministerial committee of presbytery and the presbytery itself. I was asked, why do the presbytery ask the same questions to Chris or any ordained person at the presbytery meetings when the ministerial committee has already, he's already answered those questions for them? And I said, well, it's because the presbytery is the ordaining body in our church, and they're the ones responsible for selecting uh, and ordaining pastors. And finally, receiving a call from a church. I'm sure that Pastor Chris has considered this call with a lot of prayer, counsel, and discussion, and I know that when I decided to accept the call to Montezuma, I took counsel of my mentor when he asked me these questions. Can they provide a good salary for you? And do they have a good school system to educate your children? When I answered yes, he told me, he said, well, maybe it's time to grow up. So my charge to you, the leaders of the congregation, is this. First, provide a good salary for Pastor Chris so he can care for his family. You will have to discern your financial contributions to the church. Ten percent of your earnings is what God requires. I asked my congregation to make a ten percent their goal because I knew that many of them were not there yet. And then I asked them to start small and increase it but support the pastor and the ministry. And I continue to be blessed and amazed that our congregation stays in the black. Pray for Pastor Chris and his family every day. I can't emphasize that enough. Sometimes I know that the essence of my ministry is the amount of time that I spend praying. Praying for my congregants, praying for the pastors of this presbytery, praying for other ministries that I'm involved with. It takes a lot of time, but it's the essence and support and strength of any ministry. And I encourage you to take time, not just say, I pray all the time, which many people say. Not when you're just in your car, not when you're just walking down the street, but actually sit down in your chair in a quiet moment and pray for the people sitting around you and especially pray for your pastor. Determine tonight that you will discipline yourself to pray for him and to set aside to read your Bible. Thirdly, protect him. The common saying today is, I have your back. This is a military practice. The members of a battalion watch out, protect, and prevent danger from happening to their members. Be an encourager, not a gossiper. Be a person who supports his ideas and ministry goals. Be the person who engages in discussion with an open attitude and give him space to fail. Love him, and love him through it. I remember the first congregation that I served, I preached some long sermons. (laughs) But the congregation patiently sat through with never a complaint. He's new. He's never been a pastor before, and he needs you to protect him. Encourage him and compliment him and love him. I'm sure that you will want him to succeed. The success of a pastor, I believe, will be in portion to the care that you also give to his wife, Emily. Success of any pastor is his wife. And if the pastor's wife is not in the ministry supporting and loving and encouraging He will not be here very long. I remember when I was doing internship in a downtown Los Angeles church, and my wife came to me and said, you know, I'm not going back to church 
Sunday night. I knew with those words it was time to look for a new church. And I did. And I found one, and it's been pretty much bliss ever since. You only hire him, but love for her, who she is, accept her into your friendships, help her adjust, because she's never been a pastor's wife before either. You have a huge responsibility to honor your new pastor, the one who have called to serve you. And I truly believe that God will honor you if you honor him and his wife. May God bless you in this endeavor. Shall we stand?